leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Gary Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum and a regular on the program, Ryan Edwards. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. Now, uh, Ryan, a big-time Hawks fan. Of course, he's been to, he's been on the program before to talk uh, Atlanta Hawks and had him on earlier in the season. And uh, so I thought it would be fun, given that the, the Hawks are, are in the playoffs for the first time in a few years, to, to break down their matchup against the Knicks. To, to be frank, I think that's one of maybe the, maybe the best or second-best matchup in the East, in my opinion. So we will be breaking that series down in, in detail. And then the other series we'll, uh, we'll get into a little bit and kind of talk some of the X's and O's, some of the storylines that we think are going to be fascinating. But uh, first off, Ryan, just a, just a quick breakdown of this Knicks-Hawks series. New York coming in as the four seed, Atlanta as the five. So the Knicks get home court advantage, but both teams – with identical 41 and 41 records, and also both teams with identical net ratings at positive 2.3, uh, but uh, teams that uh, excel in different areas. The Knicks, uh, obviously, with their defense being fourth in the NBA on the defensive end, whereas the Hawks finishing ninth on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, two teams that uh, you know are, are fun stories this year, haven't been in the playoffs for a few years, and one of these two is going to be a, a second-round playoff team, which I'm sure excites you quite a bit. Yeah, that's wild. Not, not in my wildest imaginations at the start of the year. I think we had any chance to make the, the second round. I was hoping for eight seed, feeling pretty confident we can get it. But, yeah, now we have a, we have a real shot at it, and it's uh, most excited I've been for Hawks basketball since probably that uh, number one seed team 
Yeah, I loved I loved that group with uh, with Horford, Millsap, Corver, Teague, that the four All Star team. That was a really yeah. that was a really great team to watch. But uh, as far as the regular season matchups, the the Knicks got the the better of the Hawks, winning all three. The first game was played, uh, you know, just like a week or two into the season, and actually a game we talked about the last time you were on the pod, a game that Atlanta seemingly had control over till the the final few minutes. But New York ended up coming out on top, 113-108. They played again about a month later, February 15th, and the Knicks won it 123-112. to And then most recently on April 21st, an absolute shootout with the Knicks pulling it out 137-127. to So, you know, just based off of the head-to-head, most people would probably assume that the Knicks have the advantage here. But... Atlanta has been dealing with so many injuries throughout the year, so they haven't really had their full complement of guys for for really any of those matchups. And and they might be about as healthy as they have been all season for this first-round series. Yeah, I think this is the healthiest we've been the entire season, even since the beginning of the year. Like, uh, And we have a new coach, which has been a huge upgrade. Can't, can't forget to throw that out there. Yeah. But, yeah. We could potentially, for the first time all season, see a starting lineup of Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. We haven't been healthy enough to do that once this year, and that could that could pot, that has potential to be our best lineup. So it's pretty exciting times, and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That that group obviously has you know the. Plenty of shooting, but also plenty of size. And at times, I think that's been one of the issues, especially in this Knicks matchup uh, dealing with Julius Randle, which we'll get to. But you you brought up the idea that, you know, the Hawks have a new coach now and Nate McMillan, of course, the Knicks have uh, have a new coach this season in Tom Thibodeau. So one thing that I think is kind of interesting about both of these guys is they might be better known as good regular season coaches and maybe not as good in the postseason. Thibodeau, of course, in the regular season likes to play his best players a ton of minutes. Julius Randle averaged 38 minutes a game during the regular season. So that sort of limits your upside in terms of being able to, I think, you know, one basic thing that a lot of these playoff teams can do to be better in the postseason is just, oh, I can play my best players 10 more minutes a game. But that's not really an option with the with the Knicks too much. And then, you know, looking at McMillan, he's been a guy that, yes, has been a master at getting the most out of teams on the defensive end in the regular season, but making adjustments and making those adjustments in a timely fashion has been something that obviously has cost him in the past and and cost him his last job in Indiana. Yeah, that that is true. And I think the Pacers might be regretting that one, although today – they, they did look much better, but there's been a lot of rumors about their coach and all that. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't know how much that was the the pace or the Pacers looking good or the Hornets looking bad. Yeah, I tend to yeah, think it was yeah, exactly. the latter there. <laughs> but, yeah, as far as Nate McMillan, it is a bit worrisome. He is, hasn't been known to be the best at making the in-series adjustments. But I'm hoping with this team, we we are got to be one of the deepest lineups, in the deepest teams in the league. So if something's not working, you'd think he'd be more willing to throw in that next guy. Like, oh, okay, DeAndre Hunter, we can try throwing him at Julius Randle. It might not work. We can show Collins. might not work. We got Solomon Hill on the bench. Oh, let's see what happens there, you know. 
And if the scoring isn't working, if we can't, if Trey Young's not making shots, if he's getting tired, we can go to Bogdanovich. We even have Lou Will now, who we haven't really had for much of the season. So hopefully, with the increased flexibility that he's had, he has more flexibility than he's had with his teams in the past, in my opinion. He's had very good teams, probably better teams, but I don't think they were as deep and had such a variety of skill sets. Maybe you'll give him more opportunity to mess with things and hopefully make better adjustments than he has in the past. Yeah, and I think a big issue has been on the offensive side of the ball. And as you said, with the firepower on this team, with having Trey Young as the orchestrator, having Lou Williams, Gallinari, who are are guys that can just get their own shot and create offense. I think that takes a little bit of pressure off of him to to really, you know, come up with a lot of interesting sets or, or designs to to spruce up the offense. I think they they basically can, you know, they've got the talent on the offensive side of the ball as evidenced by being top 10 in the league that they can just say, okay, our best players, you know, get us a good look. Uh, so that that is one one big boost. But yeah, the, the coaching matchup is going to be fascinating. And I would assume that the people that are and, and we were we were texting before we recorded this. And, and you mentioned to me that uh, I believe 16 out of the 18 people on ESPN picked the Knicks to win the series, which surprised both of us. But, you know, I think that would probably be one of the one of the bigger reasons why not only the you know, the Knicks winning the season series, but also not having much confidence in the the playoff coaching of McMillan. Yeah, and that's fair. And I also don't know how much the people at ESPN really watched those three games. <laughs> right. Um, know who was healthy, who was coaching and all that. But interestingly enough, Vegas has the Hawks as the favorites, which uh, I, I put a bit more stock into. I know it's biased, but they tend to crunch the numbers a bit more over there. They don't want to be losing money on the betting odds. So, yeah. As far as, uh, you know, for, for these matchups, we, um, we're basically going to, each of us are going to take over one side of things. So I'm going to act as sort of uh, Tom Thibodeau and the New York Knicks in this matchup. And Ryan's going to act as Nate McMillan and the Hawks and kind of break down uh, some, some different questions we had prepared. So I guess as the Hawks, Ryan, what are some, what are some of the strengths of the Knicks and maybe some of the matchups that you uh, have to go up against with the Knicks that, that concern you? Well, as you mentioned before, every Tibbs team, very, very strong on defense. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to work through that. And, uh, but what the, obviously the most worrisome thing has been Julius Randle. He's absolutely destroyed us this year, including his career high, 44 points in that second game, I believe. And he's got 40 in the most recent one. Yeah, averaging, had 30, averaging 37 a game in the three matchups. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's been rough to watch. He's been uh, he's been feeling it against the Hawks, uh, but other than that, they don't have as much offensive power, firepower as a normal playoff team, especially a four seed. With Derrick Rose can be troublesome, um, and actually the guy that's been their second best player in the three games against us surprisingly is the rookie. Quickly, he's, he's just absolutely lit it up against us. I have it in my notes somewhere here. Yeah, so he's shooting seventy one percent from. Three against the Hawks on four. He's taking 14 threes against him, shooting 71%. Um, hopefully, we can take him out of the game. He's provided like really timely scoring in the first game when it was close, when we pulled a what's unfortunately is Lloyd Pierce's signature calling card with the Hawks. We blew a big fourth quarter lead. And he did he did the same in the last one after Trey Young went down. He uh came out and hit a couple big threes at the end of the game. So if we can take him out of the game and just focus on Randall and Rose, and I think. I don't know if they have enough firepower to make the other guys 
to really uh, keep up with the Hawks. Because we, we, we have about five or six guys on any given night can get 20 points. Trey, Bogey, Collins, Gallinari, Lou Will. Occasionally, if Hunter can get returned to form before how he was playing, you never know with him. Herder does it sometimes, Capella sometimes. So we, we got a lot more offensive firepower. Yeah, that was one thing. I don't know if you caught the uh, that game last week between the Knicks and Lakers that went to overtime and, and the Lakers ended up pulling it out. But the, the, the last few minutes of regulation in that game and the entire overtime, it seemed very obvious that all the Knicks had was basically a Derrick Rose, Julius Randle pick and roll. And then, you know, if the team switched, then send it to Randle and an ISO. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there where the Hawks do have a lot more variety to their game on the offensive end. Uh, one, one thing, you know, as the Knicks, the, the thing that scares me the most is, you know, you mentioned that the Knicks defense scares you. I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of that Hawks pick and roll, especially with Trey Young, because the Knicks like to go back in that drop defensive scheme. And Trey Young is such a master of keeping that guy that defender that's guarding him on his back and really make it hard to defend that action two on two, which is what the Knicks like to do. And he's able to, you know, keep him on his back, get in, you know, hit those little 10 foot floaters. And also uh, he has that uh, crafty move to get to the free throw line where he'll sense the guy running behind him and then just jump straight up and draw the contact in his back. So that is definitely something, you know, as the Knicks defense, I think they've, They've stuck to pretty much the same scheme all year long and rely on, you know, their their centers who are, you know, with with the likes of of Noel and Gibson, who have good length and, and athleticism to deal with those two on two. But Trey Young is one of the guys that makes that really difficult. Yeah, he does. And unfortunately for the Knicks, this has got to be just for their scheme, not not saying talent wise, the Hawks. This has got to be one of the worst matchups for their defensive scheme that they could have possibly gone against. That's where Trey Young feels the most at home, as you're saying. He's got the most made floaters in the league. He's got by far the most alley oop lob passes in the league. Number one, uh, the number one combination in the league is him and Capella by far, and the number four in the league is him and John Collins. That he he is just whenever he gets in the paint, he's either getting the floater or he's throwing an alley-oop, and that's all he wants to do all game. And if they're not, if they're just going to let him do that, it could be it could be bad for them. They're going to have to adjust from what their bread and butter is, I think. Yeah, now, as far as the as far as the Randall situation, I'm curious your thoughts in turn, and as we mentioned, he absolutely lit the Hawks up in pretty much every contest and, you know, was able to create three-point looks for quickly, like you mentioned, and R.J. Barrett and, and the like. So was – when you watched those games, did you feel a sense of like, oh, the Hawks just really don't match up well against Randall, or it just was a situation where it's a small sample size and he just happened to be hot in those three games? Um, it's definitely a bit of we don't match up well. We don't have the body to really play him. Capella could do a good job. We want him near the rim, and he can he'll stretch Capella away from the rim, which could break down our entire defense. So I doubt we'll see much Capella on Randall even though he might do the best job on him. Um, Collins could take him down low. I think he'd get blown by a lot up top. It's going to be interesting to see how DeAndre Hunter does. He was locking down everyone the start of the year, but he hasn't played in a long time. He got 25 minutes in our last regular season game, just like throw him out there against the Rockets. They're clearly experimenting. They're playing him on Kelly Olenek and a bunch of power forwards to see how he do against bigs. 
well, that's that's definitely a problem. Uh, the Randall matchup, I I'm not too confident in that one. I think it's going to be. Uh, it might just come down to a old school kind of approach of like what uh, the Magic did against LeBron back in the day. Let Randall get his and see if the other guys have enough to beat the Hawks. Yeah, I definitely think Hunter is their best option, but there's also talk that he might be on a minutes limit even to start the postseason because he's obviously dealt with all these uh, all these knee issues after the surgery, coming back for a couple of games and then having to sit down again with soreness. Um, so he's, to, in my mind, he's a bit of an X factor as far as how much can he play and how effective is he going to look, especially you know guarding guarding the likes of Randall, but. Uh, as far as the, you know, the pick and roll, you know, as the, as the Hawks defending that with the likes of, of Rose and Randall, how, how do you think the Hawks should go about uh, that, uh, that two man game and, and dealing with it? Yeah, it's a tough one. First of all, you gotta, you gotta try to make sure you can keep Trey out of it. You want to try to switch him out of there before it even happens, if possible. Yeah. Um, it's obviously not going to be possible. Most of the time they're going to be hunting Trey. Um, so I, it's a tough one. That it's a really interesting dynamic because the 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 short roll with Randall's very very hard to stop, and that's where he does most of his playmaking. And that's where he's killed us. That's the reason they've hit forty eight percent of their threes against us so far this season. It's because he gets guys wide open looks from that that little short roll. Um, so, I, like I said, I think I think the best strategy would to just try to really stick with Randall. Go maybe go under the screens. You can live with some Derrick Rose threes. He's shooting him quite well this year. He's shooting like is about 38%, I believe. But he only takes about three a game. He doesn't want to take – he wants to attack the rim. So if you if you just bait him into – whenever he takes a three, I, I consider that a win in the pick and roll. Um, so I would go under unless he just really catches fire. And, uh, yeah, just stay home on Randall. Just let him attack the rim one-on-one and just uh, hope his 40 points doesn't beat you. Just try not to let other guys get the open threes off the pick and roll. I think that's the best approach. I don't think there's really a, a complete stop to it. Yeah, I was I was watching the the last matchup right before we started recording here, and one of the things I noticed about the Hawks' defense that was killing them was just you know low resistance switching against Randall, where they would get you know a Kevin Herter on him for a couple of possessions, or yeah, even a a Trey Young or a Lou Williams, and and yeah, that's just an immediate where the Hawks feel like oh we have to double opens up a wide open look, and or that you know one on one Randall is just going to eat those guys alive. So that's the other element of having you know if you can start. Bogdanovich at the two and Hunter at the three that just has you know the team has a lot more size on the court and you know Trey would be the only guy that they can attack whereas yeah if Hunter can't give them a lot of time and you're playing lineups with you know both Herter and and Lou Williams you know on some bench units that that just gives Randall and that Knicks team more uh more weaknesses to attack but yeah that's going to be that's going to be fascinating. And as far as, you know, as far as the Knicks defense dealing with that, with that uh, Atlanta Hawks pick and roll, um, you know, I, I think I would be shocked if they, if they do anything drastic to start the series, I think they're going to go with their traditional drop back scheme and just see how it works. See if, uh, you know, Trey Young is hitting those floaters and, and making them pay for that. If he's getting those calls on that, on that quick stop move and, and shoot, um, but you know, if, 
if they if the Hawks are just lighting them up in that two on two pick and roll situation, then yeah, obviously at that point you have to send a little bit extra help, and that's where the Hawks and all their shooters can can really kill you. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be interesting to see how they handle Gallinari. He did he hasn't played much against them. They haven't had a single game against the Knicks where we've had Bogdanovich and Gallinari, and that's a fearsome pick and roll combo that they have not gotten to experience. So that that'll be a lot of fun to watch as well. Yeah, and and you know those uh, that was the other thing about the last matchup. I think uh, Gallo was out, uh, Hunter, Tony Snell, obviously Reddish. Trey went down late and we were up eight. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, they, they were very depleted and you, you noticed that as well. I think starters for starters, the, the Hawks did reasonably well, but then when the bench units come on, I think when fully healthy, the Hawks have an advantage with their bench, but, uh, for the three matchups, they have not. So that, that will be, that will be fascinating. If Hunter can give them 25, 30 minutes and, and play the whole series, that's going to give them a, a big boost. And yeah, having Gallo and I think Bogdanovich, despite starting, will will play a lot with the second unit and Lou Williams. They're not going to, they're at the very least, the, the Hawks aren't going to have trouble scoring and, and keeping up on the offensive end with the with the bench group. Yeah, well, hopefully that unit, Tibbs is, always, is going to do everything he can and they got a great defense. But that's my thought process as well. They always going to have at least two shot creators in the game, which in the playoffs is huge. Most teams can't say that. That was the downfall of the Bucks last year. Didn't have the shot creators. Um, so I think that's a huge check mark towards the Hawks. But, uh, yeah, the, the, Knicks, the Knicks will be tough. They, I think I was actually just listening to Zach Lowe, and he, he said it really well. He said, I think the Hawks are a better team, but the Knicks are just tougher. They're just going to try to beat us up. They're just going to try to make the game slow and rough and just try to get inside the Hawks' heads. It's just a matter of uh, if the Hawks can get past that. Yeah, and that's why I think the the whole concept of obviously the Hawks being the road team, I think if they want to win this series, they they got to do it in six or fewer games because I would be, if I'm a Hawks fan, I would be very nervous going into a game seven, which game sevens are typically very physical, very tough contests very gritty affairs and uh, pl- that plus, you know, it being in New York in game seven, I wouldn't favor the Hawks in, you know, if the series got to that point, but uh, who are, uh, who would you say are some, some X factors in this series, some guys that maybe not like your, your Julius Randall or your Trey Young, but guys on the periphery that, that could make a massive difference and, and swing a game or two. Yeah, do you want me to do Hawks and you do Knicks? Do you want me to do both? Or um, just just throw out the guys that you're thinking, yeah. and and I'll I'll mention if uh, I have any left over. So, the Hawks can have a few potential ones. Uh, Hunter with health is always an X factor. If he if he can play defense, give us anything on offense, that'd be ginormous. But the big one I think is is Bogdanovich. The way he's been playing lately, he's hit the second most threes of anyone in the league in the last couple months, besides uh, obviously Curry. He's just been on fire. He's he's he has single-handedly won us about five or six games in the last couple of months. If he plays anywhere like he's been playing at the end of this regular season, he's a huge X factor. I don't think the Knicks will have an answer for him. And um, but I think the X factor for the Knicks has got to be the same guy as it was in the regular season, the rookie, 
quickly. He, he completely changed the game. I would never say him usually. He would not come to my mind against any other team, but he's he's just had our number. Every time he's come to the game, he's just completely turned it around. He's killed us. He's just looked extremely confident, especially with Trey Young on him. And uh, if if he's able to do that, we're, we're going to have issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I like both of those picks. Um, I uh, I think, you know, Derek Rose want probably, you know, arguably the Knicks second best player uh, is yeah. going to be is going to be pretty, pretty vital for them. And, uh, you know, I think he, again, has a, a decent matchup here, because if you look at the Hawks defensive roster, it really is probably the point guard position is the weakest you know, obviously Trey Young, not a good defender. Lou Williams, not a good defender. Herter, you know, maybe slightly below average. Um, Bogdanovich is decent. He competes, but he's nothing special. So, you know, Rose is going to have guys that I think in his mind, he'll feel like he can take advantage of on just about every possession and he could have a big series. Um, and then, yeah, I love your pick of, uh, of quickly. And, you know, the... The, the bench guys for for Atlanta, Lou Williams has been a guy that's kind of been known as as another guy that's been good in the regular season, maybe has not been quite as effective in the postseason. So and he obviously takes something a little bit away defensively. So he's going to have to have a good offensive series if he is going to warrant 15 plus or 20 plus minutes. So those would be the guys that I would consider. But the, this isn't even a player. But, you know, I, I mentioned how. Tom Thibodeau is is known for playing his star guys a lot of minutes. Randall played 37.8 minutes in the regular season. How many minutes is he going to play in this series? Is he going to – I mean, I would say minimum. I would probably guess 40. But yeah. uh, if, if he's playing 42 or 44, that, that wouldn't surprise me. And can Randall's effectiveness, you know, stay at his same level with that extra load? Yeah, I would fully expect it to be at least, yeah, 42. Because I don't know if their offense can keep them afloat long enough when he sits. I don't know if they're going to be able to to sit him for too long. Derrick Rose, I'm expecting. Yeah, you're right. I think he's going to have a terrific series. We're going. To, I think they're going to try to hide Trey off of him on one of their off ball guys, Burks or Bullock or something like that. But I, Derrick Rose is going to have a great time against the Hawks. I think him and Randall are going to be the key, and I expect both of them to play a lot of minutes, even if they do keep have Rose coming off the bench. We'll be interesting to see if they switch that up through the series. That could be an adjustment as well if it's not going Nick's way. Now, a question I love to ask in these uh, in these uh, playoff previews is the the adjustment that you would make. So, if you're the if you're the Hawks and the first two games in New York say they don't go the Hawks' way, they're down 0-2 going back to Atlanta. What are some sort of out of the box adjustments that you think the team would make to you know, shift the momentum and get themselves back into the series. Yeah. So if they're down on two, I guess you got to assume that Randall's just destroyed us. Right. Yeah. I th- that, that would be the main way. Um, yeah. That's, that's tough. You, I think they would maybe look to play their uh, smaller switchable wings more that wouldn't necessarily play too much. Maybe more Solomon Hill, maybe more, uh, Obviously Hunter, but uh, some Tony Snell action a bit more than they usually plays. The three of them, you see the trio of them constantly throwing a smaller guy at Randall, but who's a good defender who's going to hustle. Snell the in the 50-50-100 club this season. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he's uh he made like all four of his free throws and he, <laughs> he, he yeah, he's been lights out from three. He he's been ridiculous. And then we maybe we'll even see if he gets healthy enough, some uh maybe if they get desperate enough, we'll throw out some Chris Dunn minutes and just try to mess everything Derrick Rose is doing is pick him up full court. I doubt we'll play him in the first two games. Um just because he hasn't played much at all this season. He's still he came back for a bit and now he's back out and no one is completely sure. It's like the other ankle now is on the injury report, not the one he's been out with. So I'm not too sure how bad that is. But if we're down 0-2, I think I think that's that would be the big adjustment going deeper into the bench if uh just if we if we just can't stop Rose and Randall. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. I you know that that's a good one for the the X factor thing we were talking about. Like Chris Dunn is a guy that if Rose is really going, even just if he's in there for five, 10 minutes in a game, just to slow him down and, and uh, stop some hot streak that could be, that could, you know, that can swing a game. So that will be, that'll be fascinating to see. So as New York say, if, uh, if the Knicks lose the first two at home, which would not be good for them, uh, the, the adjustments I would make one would be, and, and I know Knicks fans have been calling for this all year, but to remove Alfred F- Payton from not only the starting lineup, but from the rotation entirely, yeah. <laughs> just, just start Derek Rose play quickly more as your backup one and, and together some with Rose as well. Um, and then the other, the other big one would be, you know, say the, the Knicks offense is really struggling to produce, you know, I would go all in on that mismatch hunting with Julius Randle. If you have to set some cross screens, you know, do whatever you have to do to get, to get an advantage matchup, get him the basketball and go from there. Um, so, so that would be uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of the things that I would do, but yeah, this series, uh, I think it's going to be incredibly competitive. Are you kind of in the same, uh, do you have the same mindset there? That's going to be a real, real tight matchup. Yeah, I do. I'm confident, but I do think it'll be close. I think I think every game is going to, for the most part, is going to come down to the wire, and it'll, it'll be a really fun series. All right, so uh, let's let's get to it then, Ryan. Which uh, you know which team is going to win, and in how many games? Uh, I I got to say Hawks and six. I just think we have the offensive firepower, and we have the depth, and just the playmaking ability to push us over the top. I am in total agreement and I'm not just copying you. I got it here on my notes. Um, yeah, I, again, I think it's, uh, it's going to be incredibly tight. I, I expect Atlanta to get one of the first two. If they don't, I think they're in trouble. Um, because yeah. as I said, I, I don't like their chances in a, uh, a grinded out slow game seven affair in New York. So um, they got to get one of the first two. I, I think they can do it. And I expect them to to be able to to steal one in New York and hold home court. So uh, Hawks and six, uh, we are in we, we are in agreement. One thing that hasn't really been mentioned, which could be a big factor, Hawks are on a six sixteen game winning streak at home. They've been very tough to beat in Atlanta. They've been very yeah. tough. So if the if the Knicks lose one of their first two, that's that's not good for them. Well, and again, the one uh, you know out of the three matchups in the regular season, I should mention that two of those were in New York, and the only one in Atlanta was the was the uh, the game early in the season that they they blew that fourth quarter lead. Yeah, um, and two of them were under Lloyd Pierce as well. Yeah, one under, the one under Nate McMillan, we were up eight until Trey went down with about four minutes left, lost in overtime. So. Yeah, the regular season matchup, I don't think, uh, is a great indication of how the series will go. 
Yeah, I, I agree. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. It's one of the, you know, I think um, as far as I haven't gotten to see the national TV sort of schedule, but I would expect that series to maybe get some NBA TV. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, even though I think it might be one of the top two or three series of the whole first round. Yeah, well, at least on the bright side, just as everyone expected, either the Knicks or the Hawks will be in the second round of the playoffs. So they'll have to show them on national TV. Yeah, and and you know, speaking <laughs> of yeah, speaking of speaking of the uh just the the overall Eastern Conference bracket, I think not only being in the four or five matchup is great for Atlanta and New York just because they get to play each other and um, you know, as opposed to one of those top three teams in the East and in uh, Philly, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. Uh, but then, to be honest, I think Philadelphia would be the team that I would want to face the most out of those top three in the second round, even though they finished with the best record. I think they're probably the weakest playoff team of the three. Uh, I could be proven wrong on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think they're in a – I think both of those teams got to be feeling in a decent position, not only to get through a round, but, you know, to, to even compete in a, uh, a Eastern Conference semifinal. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I, I wouldn't pick either of these teams to beat Philly, but they I think I would agree that there's the best chance between Philly, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn would be against Philly. So let's uh this is we won't talk about this series too much, but let's just briefly break down the uh the one eight matchup. Of course, the the one seed we just mentioned, the Philadelphia 76ers, and they're going to be playing the winner of the, the game that'll, that'll be played on Thursday night between the Washington Wizards, who just lost tonight to the Boston Celtics in the 7-8 plan, and the nine-seed Indiana Pacers, who just absolutely eviscerated the Charlotte Hornets in the 9-10. But uh, the, the 76ers finished the season with a 49-23 and 23 overall mark, 13th in offense, third in defense, seventh in uh, in the NBA in net rating at plus 5.4 and uh, the Wizards and Pacers both teams that are under 500 uh, both teams with a negative point differential so I guess my question for you Ryan is uh, out of those two teams which which of those do you think matches up better against Philadelphia and do you do you see either of those teams making it a competitive series uh, that, that is a tough one. It would be a lot easier if Beal was looking like himself, I think. Um, so who would match up better? That's tough. I feel like the Pacers, the 76ers take away the Pacers' strong suit, feeding the ball inside, slow, methodical game. I, I don't think the Pacers want anything to do with Philadelphia. Um, I guess I would have to pick the Wizards to have a better shot against them, especially if Beal can somehow get back to himself. They got at least the offensive firepower, especially from the perimeter where they don't have to rely on like going inside versus Embiid too much. Um, and they just try to beat them from three is their only hope. But I wouldn't be too confident in that. But I guess I, between the two, I would have to go Wizards. But what do you think? Yeah, it's tough. I, um, you know, the Pacers, the Pacers finished – 14th in offensive rating, 14th in defensive rating, but a big part of them being a slightly above average defense was Miles Turner, and he's not going to be there in a, a potential series. And Washington was 20th in offense, 18th in defense, and yes, they of course have the the big names in the backcourt, and they have some shooting around them. But 
Philadelphia has so many talented perimeter defenders in Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel and Danny Green that they can throw at the likes of, of Westbrook and Beal. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think both of those teams would have a massive struggle to score the basketball against the Sixers. And, you know, on the, on the other end of the floor, I don't think they have anybody that can slow down and beat. Maybe, maybe you could argue that Sabonis is the best post defender at, you know, out of those two teams, but I don't know. Probably probably Robin, right? Robin. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. Robin Lopez. And, and the wizards do have that sort of that, uh, um, that three-headed center rotation, uh, so they they can they can sustain some guys getting foul trouble. Yeah, it, it needs to be two heads though. Alex Lynn has as a as a Hawks <laughs> guy, he he needs to get out of that rotation if the Wizards want to keep playing. They Gafford and Lopez, that's what you need. Lynn doesn't give them anything, in my opinion. That the other two don't. Lynn is to the Wizards that uh, Alfred Payton is to the Knicks. Yes, yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, yeah, Philadelphia during the regular season went three and zero against the Wizards, two and one against the Pacers. But uh, to to answer the second part of my question, I initially asked you, do I do I think either of those teams have a chance against Philly? I would say no. My prediction would be Philadelphia in a sweep against either team that that gets through that uh, that final Eastern Conference plan. Yeah, I think I'd probably be the same. If it was the Wizards, maybe I'll say potential for five because you never know in one game with them they could score 150 points and the 76ers just won't be able to do anything about it. But, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty pretty safe bet. All right, let's move to the 2-7 matchup, and uh, we now know what that'll be, the two-seed Brooklyn Nets facing the seven-seeded Boston Celtics. I'm going to act as uh, Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets. Ryan will act as Brad Stevens and the Celtics. But uh, just a quick rundown of these two teams. Brooklyn finishes with a record of 48 and 24, first in offensive rating, 21st in defensive rating, with a net rating that that was fourth in the NBA at plus 5.7. The Boston Celtics, they finished the regular season 36 and 36, but I'm going to give them credit for their play and win. I know that probably doesn't count, but they won a game. So they're 37 and 36, 10th in offense, 12th in defense, 13th in net rating at positive 1.6. And in the uh, three regular season matchups, Brooklyn won them all uh, and uh, a couple by uh, quite a uh, large margin. So, Ryan, just you know, looking at the, this series and some of the the, the key players and, and the coaches on show, what what is uh, something that uh, that intrigues you? Oh, well, just seeing the big three together in the playoffs for the first time. Hopefully, they can stay healthy. Just just seeing what they do offensively, how they handle, like, are they going to go into what some of the old Thunder did? Like, oh, it's your kind of your turn to shoot. It's your turn to shoot. They've been really good at avoiding that for the most part in the regular season. But when it comes down to it, they need to crunch time in the playoffs. Hopefully they can avoid that. They'll be really intriguing to see if they can. Um, as far as the Celtics go, it'll be it's exciting to see if Tatum can keep up what he just did to the Wizards, dropping 50. If he can stay scoring efficiently, especially without Jalen Brown. Um, and defend to play, it's play excellent on both sides of the ball is going to be stuck on either Durant or or who knows Um, if he can play at an all pro level in the playoffs and really just step up his game to give them any shot of chance that 
I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I'm just so disappointed at the fact that Jalen Brown isn't here because, you know, if he was playing, I think, you know, we uh, the Celtics have a decent big three of their own when they're all healthy and, and playing well. And Kemba Walker has looked fantastic the last sort of month of the season, and he was great in, in that game against Washington as well. Um, but, but yeah, you look at the, the amount of just the amount of not only having three stars compared to two now for Boston, but then just the amount of shooting that the Nets have around those three guys, their offense just, you know, it's been unstoppable all season, number one in the NBA. And, uh, I have a hard time seeing, even though Boston has some guys that they can throw. I mean, I'm, I think as far as a James Harden defender, you can't get much better than having Marcus Smart. But at the same time, then, you know, who are you putting on Kyrie Irving? Who are you putting on Kevin Durant? And if you're helping on any of those guys, then Joe Harris, who's like, you know, yeah. an outrageous three-point shooter is getting open looks. Yeah, I, I, without Jalen Brown especially, I'm not sure how you can possibly hope to slow that down, as you said. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what approach Brad Stevens would go to. Do you, do you want to get into uh, that that kind of conversation? How the other teams yeah. should go about stopping each other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the I guess one thing we should point out too is we don't uh, we don't know the status of Robert Williams for this series, but he took a nasty fall in that uh, in that game against Washington. It was he you know he went for a block and was going to land, and Jason Tatum you know, sort of uh, went to reach for the ball and stepped his foot right where Williams was going to land and was really awkward. And they even, uh, he, he ended up sitting out, I think, at the end of the, the second quarter, went back to the locker room. Then they tried to start him in the third. He played about a minute and looked like he was limping pretty severely. So they took him out then. So that that's a big, that's a big concern for Boston because he's, uh, you know, Although Tristan Thompson has his strengths, uh, I think Robert Williams's rim protection has, uh, you know, I don't know if they have a replacement for that on the roster. Yeah, that's a that's a big loss, especially since they got rid of Tice. They, they could really use that third body right now. Uh, I think you're right. Tristan Thompson is not going to be able to defend the rim well enough against Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant. That would be a big, big loss if he can't play. Yeah, so... As far as, uh, um, you know, as far as the, the Brooklyn Nets defense and handling the, the Celtics pick and roll, obviously Kemba Walker is a concern given that he's got that off the dribble three-point shooting and the Nets do like, especially with DeAndre Jordan, their traditional center, they like to drop against that and Kemba could potentially eat that alive. But uh, I think that the nice thing, and, and I – Frankly, I don't know how you feel, but I trust Steve Nash as a playoff coach. I think he's going to put push the right buttons. He's going to play the right guys. Uh, and they've got enough defensive versatility. I really like their young big and Nick Claxton, uh, who can who can be more of a switching presence for them. Also, Blake Griffin has looked relatively mobile since he's been playing, actually trying for the Nets compared to how he was playing for, for Detroit. So they've, you know, if, if Kemba Walker starts getting going, maybe just make some personnel uh, changes on the defensive end to be able to switch more. But, um, yeah, I think for the Nets, it's, it's more just, you know, it, as long as we're, we're scoring as well as we're capable of, I don't know, we just have to be okay defensively. Yeah, 100%. Celtics, 
on the other hand, they're gonna <laughs> got to be outstanding defensively. And I, yes. I don't know if they can do it. They're, it's really pick your poison. Three of the best offensive players of all time. Um, so if I'm them, I, obviously you you can't really do anything to pick and roll, but switch. You can't help because, like you said, you got Joe Harris over there for three. You got Durant, Harden. I, Kirk, Kyrie, you can't help. You just can't do it. It's guaranteed three points for the most part. So I think your best chance is just getting the ball early out of the hands of James Harden. Don't let him get the ball back. He's by far their best playmaker. Try to keep the ball out of, your hand, out of the hands of Durant and just try to make Kyrie beat you, which he probably will. He's 50, 40, 90 player, one of the best players in the league. But he's the worst of the big three, and you don't really have much of a choice. I think you just got to try to get the ball into Kyrie's hands, tempt him into taking more shots than the other two. He'll probably make enough to win, and you just got to hope he doesn't. I, I don't know what else you would do. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to do as much as possible off of the one guy that isn't a floor spacer that that is on the floor, whether that's Jordan Claxton, Bruce Brown, uh, if they're playing any of those guys at any time, I think you've got to just let that guy completely or the defender that's guarding them completely ignore them and and help out on everything else. Uh, obviously, you know, that that will have its own issues because they can throw the lobs to their centers and Bruce Brown is a good cutter. But I think you've just got to take your chances with that and, and try to muck things up as as much as you possibly can with a team that has such great floor spacing. Uh, but but yeah, your your point about Kyrie, I think that is a great one because Durant is just so consistent that he rarely has off nights anymore. And James Harden is not only, you know, he's probably the best out of the three in terms of not only scoring for himself, but getting open looks for his teammates. Whereas Irving is the one guy that, yes, he's susceptible to an off night and he's mostly just looking for his own shot. So yeah, I, I agree with you, perhaps even, use use the matchups to convince Kyrie to take more shots if maybe you put Kemba on Kyrie I mean he's got to hide somewhere uh, to yeah. convince them to to give Kyrie more of the, uh, the the volume of the offense but yeah there's there's not a lot of great answers here yeah I would have to completely agree I don't know where else you could even put Kemba you're gonna have to throw him on there because you're gonna want Marcus Smart on James Harden you don't have Jalen Brown the luxury of playing him and obviously you can't – Kimba's too small to get anyone else unless you want to try him with Joe Harris. But then uh, who's guarding Kyrie? So I, I don't think they, they really have any other option there. Yeah, and um, as far as the, the, the Celtics defense in – or sorry, the, the Nets defense defending the likes of, of Tatum and Walker, another thing that you could see more of, especially if they're playing Thompson heavy minutes if Robert Williams is out, um, I would uh, – I would, be inclined to throw two at the ball at times and make them feed Thompson, you know, at the free throw line and see if he can make a play. He's typically pretty slow gathering up and finishing or taking a couple of dribbles. So um, that would be another option if, if Kemba and Tatum are, are getting it going to, to send some doubles their way and, and make those, those screen setters play four on three. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't trust, a guy like Thompson to execute that uh, at a high enough level to, to match the offense that uh, the Celtics will be seeing on the other end. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you there. I, I don't, I can't imagine that going well for them. Um, how about we do your favorite question? Let's just say some miracle. The nets are down. Oh, two. 
what what adjustments are you making okay so yeah the the thing i came up with is uh you know i think just nash doing different staggers of that star trio you know if uh if he's noticing that say kevin and kevin durant and kyrie irving together aren't as successful as he's hoping maybe pair you know durant and harden and irving and harden more or you know if the if he's keeping two guys on the same sort of timeline and having one star go solo for a few minutes here or there and that's not going well mix that up even um so just staggering the stars minutes a little bit i think is an option um also I would say play more Claxton. (laughs) I I could very easily see a situation where the first couple of games, you know, Blake Griffin's getting a ton of minutes, DeAndre Jordan's getting a ton of minutes, and those guys aren't getting it done. Um, Trust the the youngster. I think he he has the capability of having the biggest two-way impact out of their big. So play him more. And then also, you know, the Nets have played for most of the year with a pretty large rotation. You know, you could always dwindle that down um, and and play more like eight or nine guys as opposed to what Nash has done most of the year, which is play 10 or even 11 at times. So those would be those would be the main things. Um, and, and as I already brought up with the, um, you know, how to handle the, the defensive side of the things like if, yeah, if you're down 0-2, it's probably because Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker were just going crazy. So yeah, send, send doubles and, and make the other guys, make the other guys beat you. Yeah. I think that's all good points. Um, probably all for not. Cause, uh, I can't imagine that situation happening, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I'd have to agree with your whole thought process on that one. Now, how about um, you? So yeah, if, if, uh, in the more realistic scenario that the, yeah. the Boston Celtics are down Oh, two after playing two games in Brooklyn, what as Brad Stevens do you think you could come up with to 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 uh, change things up? So, in real life, it's a good chances it's hap- going to happen. I think the Celtics kind of expect it. So I kind of doubt Stevens would do huge changes. But just just to be just to go have some fun, I don't know. Maybe first thing I do is just pretend everyone on my team is Andre Miller on offense and just play so slow. Like the Nets don't get many offensive possessions. Just bring the game to a grinding halt. Just yeah. dribble crap out of the ball until there's about eight seconds left and then go to Tatum in isolation or Kemba and just try to get a bucket. Um, and you have, defense- have the other four guys standing at half court ready for transition <laughs> defense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, defensively, I think maybe go to a more aggressive blitz in the pick and roll, try to – Trap the ball handler, force an early, uh, force an early pass. Trap him with the uh, whoever's guarding the big that can't shoot. If there is one out there, they might be mean and not have uh, DeAndre Jordan out there, or Claxton, or so or Brown. So just try to maybe do a blitz, blitz the pick and roll. Try to get an early, get an early pass to someone that's not a shot creator, maybe a Joe Harris, and see what happens from there. But yeah. Uh, there's just not many, not many things I can think of to try against that team defensively that I can't imagine they wouldn't have tried in the first two games. Um, maybe tinker with Marcus Smart on Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
big height disadvantage, but he's going to play him harder than anyone and get in his head, especially if Durant's killing you. You can try that. Uh, that leaves some mismatches elsewhere. So you never know. It, it's a, it's a very tough series for them. Very tough. Yeah. There's, uh, there's not too many good options and yeah, the whole, I think that was one of the best things Steve Nash did this year was figure out those Bruce Brown at the five uh, lineups where Brown is the screener. So yeah, if you trap that, that actually is playing into Brown's strengths because he's not a shooter, but he's great at doing what Draymond Green does where he can handle it. He can finish at the rim and he can pass. So um, those are, those are some tough lineups too. And, And I wonder, you know, especially with the Celtics not having, really any big men that can score on the block um you know that would be another thing again if the if the nets are down 0-2 if and i'm steve nash let's go with just these crazy small lineups and see what they can do against it um yeah because you know if bruce brown is your only non-shooter and he's the guy setting the screen and catching it on the run that's it's not a good situation to be in as the defense yeah good luck yeah so um who are some uh, who are some guys on on either team that that you think might be an X factor in this series? Uh yeah. So the for the Nets, uh, I gotta say it's kind of obvious one bit of a cop out, but Joe Harris, as long as he's knocking down his shots, they're unbeatable. Like they won't lose if he's knocking down his shots. Um, I like your I like your what you're saying, Claxton. If he's able to give them anything, that could be good, especially later in the playoffs when it's a bit more competitive. They can get him some good playoff minutes, have him feeling confident out there. That could be a big thing for the Celtics. Ah, I'm uh, struggling a bit. Who who can maybe be like an offensive X factor for them outside their big two? They don't have like a someone that's going to really come in and give him buckets. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, Robert Williams would be an X factor for them if he can play and he can defend the rim well, and he can get some lob threats over if they go to a small ball lineup. Yeah. Um, as, as far as my X factors for the Celtics, I, I said Grant Williams, because, you know, he gives you the ability, especially Grant Williams. I think you got to play Grant Williams at the five in this series. You know, if the, if the Nets go with, with Bruce Brown at the five sort of lineups, I would like to see Stevens match that with, with Grant Williams. I think he's got that switching versatility. He's strong um, and he can move his feet reasonably well. So, so I like him as a potential X factor again, especially if Robert Williams is, is not able to play. Um, But then also, uh, you know, you mentioned a guy that maybe can get you some buckets off the bench, a guy that's been stepping up over the second half of the season, Aaron Neesmith. Uh, he's been, he's been shooting the ball a lot better and, um, you know, him and Fournier, I think if the Celtics are going to have any chance, those two guys are going to have to hit a ton of threes in this series. They're going to need a lot of Fournier. They're going to need regular season magic Fournier to have any kind of hope. He that's, that's a good, that's a good choice. I like that one. Uh, as far as my X factors for the Nets, I already mentioned Bruce Brown. I think he's a big one. Um, and then also you, you brought up Joe Harris, but his kind of his replacement off the bench, Landry Shamit. Uh, I've mm-hmm. always been a big Shamit fan. I've been on Landry Shamit Island since the beginning. He's had some cold stretches, but the second, you know, the, the, these last 20 or so games, he started to, to look confident again, look like the Shamit we saw from his first couple of years in the league. And uh, yeah, he's just another guy like, yeah, if Joe Harris and Landry Shamit are both shooting it really well. Yeah, there's just... Uh, no answers 
They're deep. Thank God they don't have Dinwiddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable the level of talent on on this roster. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hear Ryan who you have uh, winning the series and in how many games. Um, Nets, I have winning the series. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And um, I'll go five. We'll just I'll be nice. I'll be nice. I'm a bit of a known. Celtics uh, hater with the big Hawks rivalry, but so, but I'll be nice to them. I'll, I'll give them a win. So no one, no one can get too mad at me. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I, I pick nets in five as well. And yeah, I think if the only reason I'm giving the Celtics one is just the recent play of Tatum and Walker. I I'm giving them one game where those two guys just go crazy, but you know, there's a decent chance that those guys could put up 80 points combined and they could still lose to this team they're playing. So uh, I'm I'm closer to to Nets in a sweep than I am to Nets in six as far as my prediction. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, let's uh, let's move to the uh, the last series we got to talk about in the, the Eastern Conference first round, and that is the three seed Milwaukee Bucks facing off against the six seed Miami Heat. I'm going to act as Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat. Ryan will be. Uh, coach uh, Budenholzer and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks, the three seed, 46 and 26 overall, seventh in offense, 10th in defense, fifth overall in the NBA in net rating at plus 5.5. The Miami Heat finished the season at 40 and 32, 19th in offense, eighth in defense, and 16th overall in net rating with a positive 0.1 differential. And then as far as the uh, the regular season matchups between these two, Milwaukee took two out of three. They actually played uh, a, a, a back-to-back very early in the season, and then they also played in the last week of the, of the regular season. So given that it was basically the bookends of, of the regular season, I don't know how much stock we can put into those, those matchups. And also – we just saw this team, these two teams play in the playoffs last year with, with a lot of the same personnel. Um, so, so frankly, I, I probably would, would take more stock in watching and looking at that series than I would at looking at the regular season games. But, you know, the, the difference in, in personnel is substantial, especially with Drew Holiday in the mix for the Bucks this time around. Yeah, that's going to be a huge difference for them. He's, a major upgrade on both ends of the floor, especially in a playoff series. He's got the shot creation. He's got playmaking ability. He can guard. He's probably their best defender on Jimmy Butler, which is huge, something they didn't have in the last year. That That's a dramatic difference from last year. And even uh, he hasn't really done too much for the Bucks yet, but the addition of P.J. Tucker could be a sneaky big addition that can unlock some lineups for them that could really unleash Giannis. Yeah, and and you know you you mentioned Holiday as a defender on Butler. I think PJ Tucker is a decent option on Butler. I think both of those guys might be better than any option they had outside of maybe Giannis on last year's team. So yeah, I think they're they're much better set up to to deal with the 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 Heat's best player. And and of course Butler had a forty point game in that in that series last year. He went nuts <laughs> in a few of those contests, especially getting them out to a 3-0 series lead. So slowing him down is going to be a priority. And then the other thing that, you know, looking back at the at the uh, the box scores from that last series, one of the key absences for the Heat 
this year is not having Jay Crowder and Crowder mm-hmm. in that in that five game series hit 43 percent from downtown averaged 15 points a game so can Ariza produce at that level can he shoot the lights out and and give them what what Crowder gave them last year yeah and if I'm not mistaken I'm pretty sure Crowder was their favorite option to use on Giannis as well and he did a pretty good job on him so that's a that's a big change for them then really really need Ariza to play at least 75 percent well as Crowder did last year to to have a chance of doing what they did last season. Yeah, Ariza, Ariza defending, you know, as a defender versus Crowder is interesting because, you know, Ariza, I think, is stronger than he looks. Uh, I think he did an excellent job in that 2018 Western Conference Finals defending Kevin Durant. But defending Durant and defending Giannis is a completely different uh, situation. And, you know, I think one thing defensively that Crowder has over Ariza is just the, the bulk. He's just a bigger yeah. dude. So, yeah, I, I don't think Ariza is quite as good at that. And, you know, this Bucks team is shooting the ball better from three. So sending extra help, um, which the, the Heat might need to this time around, it could be a disaster. Yeah, for sure. That I feel like the Bucks have made all their additions this year in the offseason and during the trade deadline, thinking about what happened in last year's playoffs. They got grounded to a halt. The whole paint was blocked off. Giannis kicked it out, and no one could make anything besides Chris Middleton. And they've, well, they've so what they've gone out and gotten Drew Holiday to make shots off of that. They've gotten Bobby Portis, who just can't miss. He can't miss from three this year for some reason. PJ Tucker, they just they got spacing. They got guys that can play positions next to Giannis that they didn't have last year that can slide Giannis up or down while still being able to defend bigs. And I think they just been preparing for this series the whole year. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they've done a lot more on the offensive end as well in terms of, um, you know, having Giannis as a screener and also just having multiple ball handlers in Middleton and, and holiday out there that can, that can create offense it is big. And yeah, just having that, that extra shooting the, you know, with, with a Bryn Forbes, with DiVincenzo shooting better, Lopez has shot better this year. Um, so, you know, holiday is having a career year from three and Giannis, uh, you know, towards the end of the season was shooting a little bit better from the free throw line as well, which could be substantial. So uh, yeah, I, um, I've always been, I've been high on the bucks all season long. I think and as far as the Eastern conference, they are the, um, the, the biggest uh, sort of rival for Brooklyn or or the biggest foe that Brooklyn might face on their quest to to get to the NBA finals and win a championship. Um, But, but yeah, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, from, from the Miami heat perspective and dealing with the the bucks pick and roll play, I think it's pretty obvious when, when Giannis has the basketball, we're going to do the same thing we've always done, which is go under screens, lay off him, encourage him to shoot the basketball and barricade the basket to to try and slow him down. Um, the the big challenge again, I would say, compared to last with this year's Bucks team compared to last year is, you know, if Giannis is the screener on those pick and rolls, there's not a lot of great options in terms of how to defend that. I mean, they're spacing the floor around that. Um, you know, Holiday and Middleton are capable scorers at, at all three levels. 
And, you know, if you switch it, then that's where Milwaukee has gotten better at. Okay. So now we've used Giannis as a screener to get him the mismatch that we wanted in the first place. So now we can throw him the ball and isolate him at the, and he's also isolating now at around the free throw line from 15 feet, as opposed to from 25 feet. So, I mean, I guess as Miami, the the thing you can do is you can say, all right, we're going to, you know, especially with Giannis as the screener in the pick and roll, we can send a little bit more help, maybe leave Lopez and, and see if they're going to hit enough shots to beat us. But there's not too many great options there. Yeah, I would agree. Brooke Lopez is going to be really, I think he's like the person I'm keying in on the most in this matchup to see if he can stay on the floor. Or it could it could very easily happen that Bam just plays him off the floor. If he if he's not spreading the floor well enough around the pick and roll on offense and on defense, if the drop, if their signature drop coverage isn't working, he could see a long time on the bench and they could we can get more like Giannis small ball with PJ Tucker or maybe even more Bobby Portis. He's not the best defender, but he's a bit more mobile than Brooke Lopez. So it's gonna be really interesting to see if he can just stay on the floor of the series. I'm a bit worried for him to be able to do that. Yeah. The other, the other big uh, matchup concern as the heat would be drew holiday, you know, Miami similar to Atlanta, I would say their biggest weakness in terms of personnel defensively is at the point guard position, whether that's Dragic or, you know, if heroes playing the point or, um, you know, Kendrick Nunn, like they all play hard. They all try, but they're all, they're all undersized. None of them are terrific athletes. So holiday with his ability to isolate. And also he can post up as a guard as well and take advantage of, of his size in those, in those matchups. That's, that's something I'm, I'm pretty concerned about. And, and something that I think Milwaukee, again, you know, Miami was able to, you know, Miami really won that series last year with their offense Um, but they were able to slow Milwaukee down just enough. Whereas this year, I'm a little bit more concerned about Miami's ability to slow the Bucs down at all, frankly. Yeah, well, that's what the Bucs are hoping as well. (laughs) Yeah. But so on the other end of the floor, the Bucs defending the pick and roll, they're obviously going to try to come out and do the signature coach bud drop give up threes, but give up the right threes in the right places to the right players, force the mid-range, protect the rim at all costs. Um, so expect them to do a lot of that. But they have been experimenting this year, not super willingly, but with a heavy switching system. And uh, they had the personnel for it now, and that, that's what I would do against the Heat, especially with Bam. He can be a threat as a playmaker out of the, out of the pick and roll. And if you can just switch, like, Giannis, P.J. Tucker, Drew Holiday, they give him a hard time no matter where he is. He's a great offensive player, but he's not quite – he can't create off the dribble. He's a great passer, but I don't know if I would fully trust him to be a lead in the offense. If you can give him a hard time all the time while still being able to have a competent defender on Jimmy Butler, that could really muck up what the Heat is trying to do. I just think they should try to switch as much as possible in this matchup, especially they have the players for it. Yeah, the the action that I remember in that that series last year that really killed the Bucks defense was that they would sometimes do it as a dribble handoff, but most of the time they would just have Dragic starting kind of on the right wing and go left with a screen from Bam around the free throw line, and Dragic would be able to 
potentially get all the way to his strong left hand at the rim, or he's really, you know, he's pretty, he's pretty good at that little five, 10 foot floater off the glass. And then if Brooke Lopez comes over just a touch too much, he can throw that lob to bam on the right side of the rim. Uh, that, that action, the heat were able to just run over and over again. And, and the bucks with their defensive system, as you said, without switching it just had no answers. Um, so yeah, switching that I think would be, would be, um, pretty crucial. And then also, you know, with a guy like Trevor Ariza, I know they, they, um, they, they, they did this strategy last year and it backfired with the leaving Crowder to, to help out on everybody else. And he burned him. but you know, I would, I would see if, if Ariza is going to hit 40% of his threes, if he's hitting 30%, I think you can, you can more than live with that. Yeah. And I'd be much more willing this year than last year to leave hero. Yeah. He's, yeah. That could play into their advantage too. They they might be more willing to leave him and maybe lean a bit more towards the reason they would have last year. Yeah, that's been the that's been a big part of why the Heat's offense. You know, I think they're sitting at twenty first or sorry nineteenth in offensive rating. Um, a big part of that drop off. Not only you know I think they missed Butler at the beginning of the year, but then. Yeah, Tyler Hero hasn't shot the ball nearly as well this season. Duncan Robinson, despite still being pretty good, he was unbelievable last season and it has a, had a bit of a drop-off. Um, Dragic hasn't shot it quite as well. Butler has continued to really struggle from three. Uh, so, And, you know, um, despite Crowder's struggles in terms of his percentage over his career, when he played for the Heat last season, he was – you know, he's always been a high volume guy. He's never been shy, but he shot a good percentage as well. So Ariza, you know, pretty good in terms of his volume, but has always been a pretty low percentage guy. So yeah, they, they just have not shot it as well this year. And given that the Bucks have more guys to throw at a, at a Jimmy Butler is going to be, it's going to be fascinating. But uh, the other thing too, is, you know, maybe there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, we, we talk about playoff Rondo. The best we've seen of Tyler Hero was in the was in the postseason in the bubble. Maybe he's got that uh, sort of playoff gear that certain guys have. Yeah, that's true. He he could just <laughs> he could live. He he does seem to live for the big moment. He he was not shy. He was not shy. He likes all eyes on him, and he'll certainly have that in this series. So hopefully, he can step up and get back to form as he was last year. So the, the coaching question is interesting in this one because, yeah, Mike Budenholzer has won, uh, you know, won two Coach of the Year awards. He's been a terrific regular season coach, but over and over again, people have complained about, oh, you know, um, we're going to be eliminated in the, in the playoffs because you played your, st- your best player 36 minutes a game in a playoff game, in a, de- a deciding game when you could play him 40 or 42 minutes. Uh, and he's always been very stubborn about that. As you mentioned, they've done more experimenting with switching, but it has always felt sort of like he's doing it begrudgingly. Uh, so I have no, I have no question marks about Eric Spolster coming into this series, but uh, there still are plenty of concerns about coach, Bud. how do you feel the, the coaching matchup is going to pan out? Yeah, it's uh, definitely advantage heat. It's going to be really interesting, though, to see how flexible Bud is, especially with those rumors that were coming out that if they don't do well this postseason, it could be his last year coaching the Bucks. Yeah. Um, this isn't a series where you can try to preserve Giannis for the later rounds. He's going to have to 
he's going to have to be willing to play in those minutes. I know it's probably over talked about as a, as a mistake that he's made, but he's, he's going to have to play his, him and Drew and Middleton big minutes to be able to stay alive in this series. And he's going to have to be more willing to be flexible on defense with, yeah, the switching. He can't just rely on Brooke Lopez the whole time. I don't think I just, I just can't see it working over a seven game series, especially with coach Spo on the other side. He's just, he always finds a way coach Spo to just pick you apart over a seven game series. He just sweat slight little tweaks from game to game, mid game. He, you just got to expect it. You got, you got to be flexible yourself. So if I, I, I have a feeling he'll be more flexible this year, especially since he's on the hot seat. Um, so hopefully that'll be a bit more even of a coaching matchup as it, than it was last season, but it's, uh, it's gotta be advantage. Bo. Yeah, completely agreed there. As far as the, the benches, I feel like the, the teams are, are pretty even. I wouldn't say either team has like an exceptional bench, although it, yeah, it, for Miami, it largely depends on, um, you know, which, whichever one of Dragic or Hero is coming off the bench, if they're playing at, a, at an all-star level for a series, that, that takes the Heat's bench up to another level. Um, but, yeah, both benches, I think, are, are decent. Uh, but, yeah, Ryan, who are some, some X factors in this series that, uh, you know, that, again, maybe not the Jimmy Butlers or the Yadises of the world, but guys, you know, after them that, uh, that could, could swing a game or two? Yeah, so in general, the Bucks bench is an X factor, but specifically, I would have to say Bobby Portis, if he can play like he's been playing, if he can provide them instant offense and just give them the spacing when they take out Lopez where you can't help off anyone and just give Giannis, you're going to have to double him when he goes to the rim. If they can play Bobby Portis a lot, they're going to be very, very tough to stop. So that's an X factor. And obviously, P.J. Tucker, if he's able to uh, – if he's able to play both ends of the elite level in the playoffs like he has in the past, he hasn't shown it as much this season, but if he's able to get back to that playoff form, that can be huge for them. And then just as like a minor X factor is the two, the two shooting guards on the bucks. If they're able to knock down their open looks that they're getting in Dante and Conantan Conantan. Yeah. Um, another guy that you didn't mention for the bucks that I think is big is Bryn Forbes. Um, mm. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I am a bit concerned that, uh, that coach, Bud will be playing too much Jeff Teague in this series. I do not like Jeff Teague. I don't think he should be a part of their rotation. Uh, they go way back. Gotta love, gotta love the duo of the Hawks fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bryn Forbes is, you know, is one of the best shooters in the NBA. He's got great range. Uh, he, uh, you know, like you said, with Bobby Portis takes that Bucks offense to another level. And I think both Teague and Forbes are, uh, you know, liabilities defensively, but, Teague doesn't help their offense nearly as much. They don't need that extra dose of creation. They need the floor spacing around their, their big three. So Bryn Forbes, the big one. Um, and for Miami, I, I already brought him up, but Trevor Ariza, I think is going to be so crucial. Not only how well, how well he holds up against Giannis, can he avoid just getting bulldozed to the rim, but then also is he able to make 35 to 40% of his open looks? Cause yeah, again, I think he's going to get an, a, a bunch of open shots in this series. Same as Crowder last year. Yeah. I, I would have to agree with that. With uh, Trevor Ariza being the X factor. I think we've mentioned it as well. Tyler Hero, if he doesn't shoot well, I I just can't see the Heat taking the series. They're going to need him to step back up just like he did last year. So that would be a big one. But, yeah, just the whole the whole 
guard rotation for the Heat. They they need points. They need shot creation. If they can't provide it, it it could be it could be bad. They they can't rely Jimmy Butler solely to create offense. They need Drogic to be huge like he was last year. They need yeah Tyler Hero to knock down shots. Just the whole backcourt in general. Yeah, as we saw in the in the NBA Finals, like I think for a game or two, Jimmy Butler can take over and just be that guy that isolates 40 times and, and wins you a basketball game. But yeah, over a, over a seven game series. Yes. You need, you need that Tyler hero game. Like he had in game four of the Eastern conference finals. You need that bam out of bio game where he puts up 25. You need that Goran Dragic game. Yeah. They, they need everybody. And uh, yeah, the, it'll be interesting to see if they can all sort of click at the right time. But uh, yeah, let's get into that uh, down Oh two in the series adjustment question, Ryan. And, so as uh, as the Bucks, you know, it's disaster time. They've lost the first two at home. There's a bunch of, you know, all the news reports are saying, "Oh, is Bud Bud's uh, about to be fired? What's this series has done? What uh, what adjustments can uh, can the Bucks make to turn it around?" Yeah. So I mean, this is a bit boring because it's kind of what we've been talking about. But I feel like if they're down 0-2. It's just because they're back to their old ways. They're playing yeah. that deep drop. They're not playing their starters enough. They're not getting enough versatility on defense with switching the pick and rolls. I just can't – I can't see them going down 0-2 if they're doing if, – if they're not playing that. They're playing in a switching system. They got the floor spacing. They got space for Giannis to just absolutely demolish the heat. Um, so that would be the big things. Yeah, go to more switch – more P.J. Tucker um, if they're not playing him enough. Probably less, yeah, less Brook Lopez in general. I think if you're down 0-2, it's probably because Brook Lopez is uh, getting taken advantage of. He's not spacing the floor enough. Bam's cooking him on the other end. He's he's not protecting the rim well enough in that drop in the pick and roll. I think you'd have to go away from Lopez, more towards P.J. Tucker, um, more towards Giannis at the five. Uh, that'd be a big one. I think more Giannis at the five if they're uh, if they're really struggling down 0-2. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe just you know, more Giannis pick and rolls where he's the role man. Maybe even some uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton pick and rolls with Middleton is heading the screen, just because of the gravity of his three point shooting and have Giannis lurking in the background. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, those are all those are all really good, uh, really good points. And yeah, I, I agree. If if uh, if they are down 0-2, it's gonna it's probably gonna be a lot uh, very reminiscent of what we saw last year. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating. I'm very excited for this series, and I'm still amazed that with Milwaukee, you know, they played Miami right right near the end of the year and beat them, which pushed Miami to six. My, mm-hmm. Milwaukee had some control over avoiding this matchup, and they chose not to. Uh, so you know, it's yeah. it's that much as a, as a more ridiculous supporter. if they end up losing <laughs> yeah as a hawk supporter i was very thankful for that I'd rather <laughs> right but, but yeah uh, they made a statement they're not they're not scared of the heat they're ready for them and yeah they'll, they'll be ready to play so uh what's your what's your pick who you got well before we get to that i just wanted to make a couple of comments about like if i were the heat and i'm down oh two. yeah obviously sorry yeah no no all good um <laughs> so yeah if uh if miami loses the first two in milwaukee I, uh, you know, a couple of things that I would have in mind, you know, if Ariza isn't hitting shots, maybe I could downsize, bring in an extra guard, bring the Dragic and or hero into the starting lineup and defend Giannis with, with Butler at the four. 
that's a possibility. Just go smaller. Um, and yeah, like if, uh, if Dragic or Hero really has it going, you can, you can up their minutes a little bit and in desperation mode and play them 35 minutes if need be, 40 minutes. And then also just as, as far as on the offensive end, um, you know, if, if Milwaukee's shutting down the Jimmy Butler isolations or they're shutting down the Tyler Hero pick and roll, you know, go go more towards like what we saw some last year where they're just, you know, basically button mash the same move over and over again. You know, run that, uh, run the uh, the Dragic out of bio pick and roll or dribble handoffs and just go to it over and over and over until they can show that they stop it. That that's the that's the other thing that's so nice about the Miami Heat's offense is, you know, with with Butler's isolation, with that Dragic Adebayo game, the Duncan Robinson curling off screens. They've got so many different versions of their offense they can go to possession after possession. And yeah, you know, if if certain stuff isn't working, then just you know load up on some of the other play sets. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with with all that. It's- uh, that Dragic out, out of bio one-two punch is, is really fun to watch when it gets cooking. So more of that's always always a good call. All right. Well, yeah, um, you you brought it up earlier. Let's get to the to the predictions. Do you want me to go first this time? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I've got Milwaukee winning it, but I have them winning in seven. <laughs> yeah. Um I was I was leaning towards that as well. I'm very close between Milwaukee and six and seven. I was I was leaning in towards seven, but I can't we can't agree on all of these, so I'll go six. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a competitive series. I think Miami has started to look a little bit more like they did last year over the last month of the season. Um, they're they're relatively healthy at the right time. Uh, they added some depth at the trade deadline, which has helped. And yeah, I think the I think the Bucks, even if they get through, I think they're going to regret a little bit, you know, choosing to face Miami because that wear and tear of uh, you know even just a couple extra games can make a big difference if your goal is to go all the way. Yeah, they're going to be sore. That's for sure. Although the other alternative was the Knicks, that <laughs> they'd probably be less games, but they'd. <laughs> a chance to be just a sore playing them but yeah the heat the heat is uh it's gonna be a fun matchup it's gonna be physical it's gonna take its toll on the bucks and we'll see if they have anything left in the tank for the nets if they if they can both get there all right so um you know i i, I tend to prefer to uh, make my predictions round by round because you know injuries and stuff can impact that but just for for the sake of having all of our Eastern Conference predictions done now, let's quickly go over the, before we wrap up, let's go over the Eastern Conference semis and finals predictions. So we both had the same four teams winning in the first round. Uh, so the, the first matchup is Philadelphia versus Atlanta in round two, the one versus the five. Who do you have in that and in how many games? Uh, Got to go Philly. Yep. Going between five and six. I'll be at home. I'll, I'll go six. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I um I think Capella is a decent guy to have against Embiid. Um, you know, about as good as you can hope for. Yeah, so so I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna say Philadelphia in six. I think Atlanta will be able to 
you know, Philadelphia's defense is really good, but I think Atlanta's offense is excellent as well. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there, but we got Philadelphia advancing. And then in the other uh, conference semifinal, we've got the two seed Brooklyn Nets against the three seed Milwaukee Bucks. Who do you have winning that and in how many games? I just can't see a fully healthy Nets team losing, even though I think Milwaukee might be my number two title favorite in the whole NBA, either side. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go Nets, maybe even in, in six if healthy. Uh, okay. if, one of, if one of them goes down, I'd probably lean towards Bucks. But uh, I just I just can't see the Nets, I mean, the Bucks coming off the huge series with the Heat and uh, just being able to take down the Nets after that. Yeah, so I picked the Nets to uh, to get out of the East in, in my initial preseason predictions. I'm going to keep on that and have them beating Milwaukee, but I'm going to have that in seven. I think Milwaukee is a legit challenge for them. I, I, I don't think the Nets have an answer for Giannis at all. Uh, so I, I think that is a tough matchup defensively, but yeah, they, they've got so much offensive pot firepower that they're going to be able to squeeze it out. Uh, especially having that home court advantage in game seven. So let's move on then to the, the final prediction we'll do here, which is the Eastern conference finals between the one seed Philadelphia 76ers and the two seed Brooklyn Nets. Who do you have getting out of the East and making it to the NBA finals? Uh, you just can't go against James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. I, I got to go with them, although the Sixers are great, very interesting matchup for them. They got the scoring inside, very contrasting styles. They can throw Thibel, Simmons, Danny Green, and beat all there at the same time and really try to muck it up. So I'm going to go seven. Wow. Okay. So um, really I think you're a lot higher on the Sixers than I am because I have Nets in five in that matchup. <laughs> I'm I not did. really high on them. I'm just high on them on how they match up. I'll take Bucks over the Sixers. Yeah, I I think uh, the the Sixers match up incredibly well defensively, as about as good as you can. But I think they're they match up really poorly offensively. I don't think they're going to be able to score enough. Uh, the Nets are going to be able to – I think teams are going to be able to double and beat and, and get away with it, especially when the Sixers are playing like the likes of Simmons and Thibel out there on the floor. Uh, the Sixers, again, just the 13th-ranked offense in the NBA, so basically an average offense. Um, you know, No matter how good your defense is, if, if you're not scoring at an elite level against the Nets, I just don't think you really stand much of a chance. Yeah, that's completely fair. I, when I'm thinking seven, I'm picturing Embiid just doesn't matter who's on, just completely demolishing for that to be able to happen. And I think this, he's he's been doing it this year, so you never know. But, yeah, if it's not seven, I think five is more likely than six. So, <laughs> I yeah, definitely I, get yeah, I think one-on-one Embiid's going to cause problems, but I think the Nets, you know, uh, I don't think they're just going to let him be, beat them game after game on the offensive end. At some point, they're going to make everybody else try to do something. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ryan, was there anything else about the, the Eastern Conference first round or just the playoffs in general that uh, you wanted to discuss before we wrap up here? Uh, I think I think we've done a pretty good job covering it. It'll be really fun to watch and uh, be fun to watch that Warriors-Lakers game tomorrow in the West. And, yeah, it's just going to be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for for coming on and doing this. And, 
Yeah, I know. I, I think I can speak for the both of us when I say this is uh, this is going to be a fun next uh, month or two. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be back. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so... Uh, You can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television, so... uh, If you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does a a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.